We all get bogged down with the mundane tasks of life, especially this time of year. But isn't it time you take a break from your normal, boring routine? Don't just sit on the sidelines and watch life go by. Get in the game with the bold tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. You can be having a blast anywhere. Having a blast at work, having a blast in traffic, having a blast while you file your taxes. No, really, we mean it when we say anywhere. With Baja Blast now in stores everywhere, you can be having a blast whenever and wherever you are all year long. So what are you waiting for? Pick up an ice cold Baja Blast today at a store near you. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast in stores and at participating Taco Bell locations, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. This swag is available for a limited time only, so don't wait. Grab a Baja Blast and start having a blast right away. No purchase necessary, open to U.S. residents 18 or older, subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com. Ends June 15, 2024, void where prohibited. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. I physically cannot wait to get to the Beverly Hills scene with Eric and Garcelle. It is all I have been thinking about since I watched it. My jaw was on the floor. And when you see something play out that was played over and over again in trailers and commercials and you get to finally live the moment and it lives up to the expectation, there is no better feeling than that. I'm going to take it a step further and say that it exceeded my expectation because what we have been built up to witness for so long is that moment of them on the mountain. And that was great. Like, I don't mean to diminish that conversation, but it was really after the fact what happened that blew me away. And then the fact that we get an episode or a scene like that followed up by the social media situation with Rinna and Erica, and we get insight into production. Like, are you fucking kidding me? No, it's a dream come true. And another tactic that we're sort of used to is they play out the scene in the trailer, we see it a million times, and then that's sort of it. We already got the juiciest, best part of it. So the fact that that was just really, truly a teaser and not the like meat of the episode or the storyline, oh my God, we have a good show ahead of us. I know. You know, I think obviously we'll talk about this in the Beverly Hills section. I know we have a few news stories to get to, but I just want to say if I had to try to put into words my overwhelming feeling of watching this, it's that I don't know if I've ever felt such a camaraderie with the cast members as I feel because normally whenever there's drama or things going on, you know that they have a leg up to you because they are involved in it on some level. Whereas In this particular episode, at least in the conversation with Erica and Garcelle in front of the group, the group was hearing that for the first time, just like we were. I know. And when you see them reading the articles for the first time, like they said, news is literally dropping every five minutes. Things that Erica may may or not have known in the moment. I just bring it back to when we were reading those articles, they were finding out at the same time. They weren't privy to things before. Oh my, there's just a million layers to this. So I don't even know where to begin. I just keep wondering to myself, what are they going to do in season 12? Like, where do you go from here? I know. Are they going to go to Mexico and just fight about something on Twitter or their outfits or a rumor? Like, I I don't even know how you could top this. (laughs) Everything just pales in comparison. Totally. One final thing before we actually get started. I cannot believe that the one week we decide to release the episode early since there wasn't Beverly Hills last week, the Rihanna New York slash Nicki Minaj Potomac situation happens and (laughs) we were losing it and we had nowhere to talk about it. And the amount of DMs we got from you guys, because we talk about this, I would say more than your average person. 
we are obsessed with the celebrity A-list crossover and when they watch Housewives. And we had just spoken about it last week. So then for all this to happen, and it's not even just like subtle hints or a little comment, we got grid posts from Rihanna and Nicki Minaj about the shows that they're watching. Are you kidding me? It was really wild. And honestly, the thing that I couldn't get over is, you know, we know that Rihanna is a fan. We know that she watches, but of course her actually posting the scene that she's mentioned in is very meta. But if you're Leah, I mean, that is the most unbelievable promotion you could ever get or you could ever ask for. She would never have been able to pay for that. No, I mean, for Rihanna to back you up in her argument and not even just back her up or story the clip of her talking about Rihanna wears my merch, Rihanna Instagrams wearing Married to the Mob merch. There's no words. I don't care how much you hate Leah. That is fucking epic. It's epic. Are you kidding? And she, I mean, it was kind of like the most silent win for her because she didn't have to say a word and it was presented. And honestly, Ramona was, I thought such a good sport about the whole thing. She played right into it and she knew that Rihanna definitely wasn't looking at her favorably, but she didn't care because she was still mentioned. And that is honestly a win in and of itself. Yeah. I don't think she fully grasped the extent that like Rihanna's dragging you and she just thought it was playful fun, which it is. But then yeah, even on Watch What Happens Live, she said to Andy, you know what? I love the attention. And the fact that she can own that is pretty admirable, I gotta say. Yeah. Okay. And then the Nicki Minaj situation, because that almost took on a life of its own. It's crazy because I never expected a resurgence like this. When they made that moment for life lip sync video, all of the cast members, and Nicki commented back in June, the end of June, she commented on it, it was cute, whatever. All of them posted it before the season aired. And then out of nowhere, Nikki grid posts the video herself and writes, I'll be hosting the reunion. Let me know what y'all want me to ask, child. And then for Nikki to post the text with her publicist, where her publicist texts her, Andy Cohen said he would gladly give up his seat to have you host the Potomac reunion, tapes around October. And I have to be totally honest with you. Yeah, this was played up for us. I genuinely think that was the exact text interaction. No, I think it was too. And Andy said on Radio Andy that he is considering really incorporating her into the reunion in some way. I mean, why the fuck wouldn't they? This has been like an issue for so long is, you know, people think maybe Andy needs to mix it up a little bit or they want to see more, I don't know, a change in reunion. And I think this would be the perfect thing to do. Imagine bringing Nicki Minaj in to kind of like clear up the mess and give her two cents and moderate a fight between Giselle and Karen. I can't think of something I'd want to see more. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, if like, I know we were all just blown away by this very interaction. We didn't really get into the nitty gritty of the logistics of it. But if I wanted to, for once, I can just think about it. The way that I envision it is that Andy would host probably most of it and he would have Nikki come in, let's say for one or two major fights, the ones that she felt the most excited to talk about, and she fully moderated it. I don't think she'd want to probably be there for the full 12 hours or however long it takes to to tape. But I could see this being a thing where he brings in only that level of celebrity. I'm talking Rihanna, Nicki Minaj for a little bit of the reunion. Could you imagine what that would do for viewership? No, like just a little bit of segment. I also think Nicki posting to like all of these slides saying like, don't ask me about my album. I'm binge watching Potomac basically is just, it's a dream come true. And she didn't just post it and leave. She was replying to so many comments. She replied to all of the women's comments. She was going back and forth with the Watch What Happens Live account about 
going on Candace's song and calling Karen Huger the grand dame and playing into that clip. I posted it on Reels, but the clip of Giselle's daughter saying, I hope it's Nicki Minaj tickets when Jamal is gifting them a restaurant. And she's like, oh, don't worry. I'm going to get her tickets and take her backstage. I mean, I this the thing is, these two interactions are specifically epic because, yeah, I love when Rihanna comments on Dorinda, I want to come to Bluestone Manor. But the fact that both of these are all mentions of their names in the show and they are almost fangirling that they've been sucked into the Housewives atmosphere, it's so like reverse but incredible. Yeah. And then on a little bit of a personal note, you and I talk about Potomac till we are blue in the face and we try to get everyone to watch, but obviously our reach is like minuscule comparatively speaking. So I just felt validated that Nikki was putting Potomac on the pedestal that it deserves to be put on. Yeah. And if anyone can get viewership up, it's Nicki Minaj. So this is how we're going to do this episode. A few little news things, and then we'll do Beverly Hills, Potomac, and end with New York, which I would just like to say, I know we've been super hard on New York. This was my favorite episode of the season. So that is a mini win. Listen, (laughs) the bar is on the floor. So it could be your favorite episode. It doesn't mean it was a great episode, but I will say it was less painful to watch. And I think that is a good step. (laughs) an amazing step. I can't believe this is New York that we're talking about in this way. I'm so optimistic, (laughs) right? So we wanted to just start out with this. Let me start by saying we have no additional information. We kind of just want to process it as a group because this was so bizarre and out of left field. But on Thursday, this news breaks that, quote, Mary Cosby is facing charges of providing shelter to a runaway and contributing to the delinquency of a minor, court records reveal. Both charges are misdemeanors. Then, quote, Mary is saddened that she was dragged into another family's domestic situation, a representative for Cosby reportedly told E! News on Thursday. The rep also reportedly said that Cosby is, quote, confident that this misunderstanding will be cleared up soon. And apparently, according to a Salt Lake City Justice Court, the incident took place allegedly on April 8th of this year, and she has pleaded not guilty to both counts. Listen, like you said, we have no more information than this. However... This is just crazy. We just got this whole Jen Shaw saga. So now the fact that something is happening to Mary, I mean, is she filming? Is she coming back? Like, what is going on? Is this going to be documented, you think? I honestly have no idea, but I I kind of think that I've put the return of Salt Lake City in the back of my mind because I'm so excited for it that I don't want to be counting down the days. And then when something like this happens, it just brings it right up to the forefront because I want to see this shit go down in real time. Same. And there were so many rumors on Twitter that the trailer was dropping last week and it just every day I'd wake up ready to see the trailer and it wasn't there. So you're right. I'm kind of just like putting it in a box in the back of my brain so that I'm pleasantly surprised. But damn, is it going to be a good season? It's such a good season. I'm honestly, maybe out of anything, I feel so grateful that we have a podcast for that show because we started our podcast at the same time as we as Salt Lake City started. I know there is something so different about it because we, everyone started on the same foot. And that was a really unique experience where I don't like it better and I don't like it worse. It was just different because we're usually dealing with shows that have been on for 10 plus years and there's so much history and backstory and characters and like you could go on and on forever. Whereas this was like, we were all forming our opinions in real time and meeting these women for the first time and deciding what we thought. And it, it just like has a different element when you break it down. Totally, totally. And then the other thing we wanted to talk about news-wise before we get into Beverly Hills is 
I'm sure you guys saw those photos of Tom that came out in page six on Monday. And the headline before you see it says, Tom Girardi sports shiner in first sighting since Erica Jane split. And it's just a picture of him looking very drawn. He has clearly lost weight, very frail. He has a large black eye. He was walking um, arm in arm with a woman. I don't know who it was. If it was someone taking care of him. I don't really know the relation, but he definitely did not look well. And it was actually kind of jarring to see. I know. And these are the moments where as guilty as you feel, you just can't help but feel bad because he does feel like a person that we, quote, knew at a certain point and that we were actually very fond of watching. So anyone like in this state is just, it's hard to see. I also didn't realize that this was the first time that we ever saw him since any of this came out. So that was kind of like on its own a little bit, took me back a little bit. Well, it's funny you say that. I was thinking the same thing. It wasn't anywhere in my mind of like, oh, are we going to get a paparazzi photo of Tom Girardi? I hadn't even considered that. And then it was last week or two weeks ago and there was the photo of Erica at the gas station and then another one of her when she was getting her Postmates from you know her front lawn. And then I started to think to myself, oh, I wonder if there'll be a picture of Tom, but I wasn't thinking this. And listen, I know there were a lot of memes and some people thought that the black eye was put on and as an act. I don't feel that way at all. And I know he's a terrible guy. I just, you will never find me like mocking an elderly person's appearance for something that's out of their control. So shitty guy, I'm not defending him in the slightest, but I can't go there. I'm sorry. I guess it's crazy to think about also, if Erica wasn't a real housewife, let's say, the paparazzi in the press would be clamoring to get a photo of her. Like you said, getting gas, getting Postmates. And those photos did go viral because it is interesting to see her just in her element. But she's fully on a show. We're watching her for hours at a time at, at, during the time period that her paparazzi photos would have been the most like interesting or worthy of being printed. So it's like we don't even think about that. We need to get a glimpse of her because we're getting to see her the full package in a way. And for in terms of Tom, I guess I just didn't really think about him being interesting to see. And it's not like we ever are seeing him that much in any way, except, you know, full in a suit on Housewives. Like, I, I don't know him any other way but that. But this, like, was a real sort of moment of pause to be like, wow, he does, he looks sick. And regardless of what you think, he definitely does not look like he's in good health, physically or mentally. Well, you know, the thing about it is that it's, it's very weird how this stuff happens where the episode comes out. And I, listen, I, I am not one to put past conspiracy theories. However, I genuinely think this is a coincidence that these photos come out the same week that this episode comes out where they're talking about the state of his mental health and his general health decline. And so then for these photos to kind of happen when you're watching it, you feel like you're getting a much clearer picture than you would have otherwise. Yeah. It's just, it's really wild. It's really wild. I, I don't know. I, it's, I keep saying this is really not going to end well. Like I, I just have such an eerie feeling surrounding this entire situation. I just, I feel like it's a snowball down a hill that just can't stop. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's out of control at this point. Yeah, yeah. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So obviously we leave off last week with that pretty explosive dinner. And I think honestly, just one small kind of production note, I think it was incredibly beneficial the fact that Erica wasn't staying at Kyle's house because it allowed the rest of them to almost have this moment of reaction without having to choose their words carefully. And almost a moment of relief. I know that sounds insensitive, but Erica's overall vibe and the stories and things were very deep and heavy. So for her to be able to leave, I think it was better for Erica. And I also think it was better for the other women, for them to all be able to take a deep breath and, I don't know, not feel like the weight of Erica on them at all times. And for Erica to have her own space, especially even the next morning, we see like all these stories are breaking and they sort of had a space to discuss it among themselves and also decide how do we approach this with Erica and how should we treat her today? And what do we think is going on? What's the best way we as friends can be there for her today. And if she's there 24-7, they don't really have the option to do that. So I just feel like overall, I don't know what came first, but it it worked out for the best. It worked out for the best for everybody involved. And I so agree with you about the news breaking because I don't know how to say this without it sounding so wildly insensitive on their part because I genuinely think that they, of course, cared for her and that was their first reaction. However, they're filming a show. And so you want to have a certain reaction to news breaking and your reaction is obviously going to be far more muted when the person involved is sitting right next to you. So like, I want to see Kyle in that gold eye mask, absolutely lose it to Rinna and not have to worry if what she's saying comes across as understanding and compassionate just for like 30 seconds. Of course, it allows them to have like a real reaction and process it before they have to face Erica, which I can imagine is kind of scary and uncharted territory for them. Totally. So when the first group leaves, which was another great thing about this trip, there was a lot of group action happening. And so you got so many more kind of intimate conversations. I know. I liked how they kept breaking up throughout the whole episode into different groups and sections and even the element of the hotel, I feel like that was a very important part of this trip because it allowed for like just different conversations and also people to say things or open up in certain ways, especially Erica, that they may not have if they were just all together the entire time sitting around and doing group activities. Totally. And so when it's Kyle, Lisa, Dorit, and Crystal and they go biking and they, you know, sit in that courtyard and they're having the conversation. And Dorit says, just the fact that he was cheating on her and then to be so mean to her, she worked really hard to try and paint a different picture. And yet she still thinks about protecting him. And then when they have the conversation about the money and Rinna says, I don't think there's a penny to get. And they all kind of nod in agreement. Even Crystal, who's, I guess you could consider newer into this. That seems to be my impression, I guess, was that's like the word around town of he has, you know, not a dollar to his name at this point. Yeah. And I think between maybe what they've heard around town and also what they've read already at this point, that just is like the underlying theme of everything is that there is a money issue. And what they've known about her this whole time, there was no money issue. I also, going back to what you said before of like, I feel like I'm really in it with them. They feel the same sense of like, our impression of Erica and what she put on and the way that she was and how she portrayed her life was very true. None of them are saying, I had a feeling or I felt it was phony or I knew something was up. 
they are genuinely as sort of rocked by it as we are. Now, who knows what they've heard through the years, and maybe this is just what they're saying on camera, but like, I just feel like they really are shocked that this is what was going on behind closed doors. I do. Oh, I do too. I fully believe that. I mean, listen, to be totally fair in our analysis here, I think that Rinna and Erica's friendship is very real on camera and off camera. And I think that Rinna, I guess the best way I can put it is if this was happening to somebody that wasn't Kyle or Erica, she would maybe play it up a little more and maybe be a little less careful with her words. But I think you can see her being incredibly intentional with what she says. Yes, for sure. But I think Rinna and Erica being really good friends off camera means that they were close, but in still a very Erica way. Oh, totally. I, I honestly, like, Again, excuse my potential naivety. I do not think that Rinna knew about this at all, but I'm just saying as she's finding out, I feel like she's a little bit more careful in the way that she's processing it than she would be if it was happening to like, I don't know, Sutton. Yeah. A lot of people were bringing up the Denise of it all and sort of how Rinna was so quick to kind of jump down Denise's throat and really pull out all the receipts and the evidence and question her to no end. And then for her to be so kind of soft and laid back and reserved when it comes to Erica, I personally don't think you can compare the two cases at all. And there's completely different relationships, friendships, and storylines and severity. But it is an interesting thing to note. And I genuinely think it comes down to Rinna's friendship with Erica and also what the circumstances are here. It's not about did she hook up with Brandy Glanville? It's was her whole life a scam and is she going through the toughest thing that she'll probably ever have to go through? Well, if I'm going to be totally honest regarding the whole Denise situation, I think so much of Verna's frustration that she couldn't say on camera came from the fact that she felt like Denise had a job to film and she wasn't filming. And I think at the very least with Erica, even if we want to say every single word out of her mouth is bullshit, she still was showing up and she was doing the thing. And I think that that's what was Rinna's really underlying frustration with Denise. It was like, you can't just back out here. Again, I'm speaking as if I'm Rinna. That's where I think a lot of that was coming from. I know it's a separate conversation, but I don't know if that was talked about as much because it was a narrative that couldn't be highlighted on the show. Right. There are things here, though, I feel like can't be highlighted on the show. And that will just always be the problem with us trying to figure out the dynamics. And we'll get into that a little bit when it comes to Garcelle and Erica, but there are so many factors that play in when you're recording a show. Absolutely. And we'll see that play out. But okay, back to the episode for a second, because when they're decorating the tree, it's Kyle Sutton and Erica. There's this conversation that arises about, I guess, Erica and Tom owning a house in La Quinta. And wasn't this so bizarre kind of? It was really bizarre, especially we'd never heard about this before. And that's what I think is the weirdest thing. Kyle has had this house for years, and she lives in a really private like golf club community, the same one as Kris Jenner. And I feel like everyone kind of knows everyone who lives there. And they've been friends for so long. I I think, if I'm not mistaken, Erica's been to that house before. I don't know that for sure, but it just felt like this was the first time that they brought it up, and now... It felt so weird. And these are the kind of things that she's no, she's known that they own this house and she's never been to it. She doesn't know the address. And that's clearly been happening for years. But we were never privy to that. You know, we just figured, oh, when she's talking about all these homes she owns, 
it's Tom owning them as investment properties or whatever they are, pieces of land. I don't know. People with that much money do things like that. And Erica's not like going there, trekking there every weekend. But this just felt really different and interesting and weird and such a small detail that also explained so much about their relationship and the way things have been going for so long. Well, that's why it was to me at least. And I feel like I've been the one to, to actually believe her a lot. I felt that this was so intentional on her part to just use as another anecdote of like, Hey, this is one example of how I knew nothing that was going on. So even if I was roped into things, it was without my knowing. And I was far less involved than any of these records want to make it seem that I was. So I feel like the reason that she was pushing this so hard on this episode was because it was a tangible example that she could give, I don't know if you want to say in the court of public opinion, in the actual courts for them to see of like, hey, we even have properties that I know nothing about. Well, also, if you're skeptical of Erica, you could look at this and say, maybe she does know where the house is. She's just never been there and she wants to sort of play up this ignorant wife out of the loop persona that she's trying to make very clear and kind of keep her hands clean. There's a million ways to look at it. I personally think she's never been to that house and probably doesn't know about it, but it just, yeah, it definitely feeds into this whole idea of how she wants everyone to perceive the way their marriage was for so many years and backtrack the way that she was trying to present it to them all along. Right, exactly. That's why to me, it is entirely irrelevant whether she's actually been to the house or she hasn't been to the house. It was more so the fact that she's going to push the literal fuck out of the narrative that she knows nothing about it because it goes to show how naive she was and how none of the legal issues could be her doing. Yeah, she definitely was pushing it regardless of what the actual truth is. She wanted to talk about it. Right. Okay. So the next morning when they wake up and Kyle sees the article from page six, quote, Tom Girardi secretly hospitalized for serious illness. And you see, like we were talking about earlier, her and Rinna and I guess Dorit in real time trying to figure out, does this mean he's currently hospitalized or is this alluding to the fact that he has been hospitalized previously, relatively recently? I'm pretty sure you and I had that exact same conversation. So the fact that Kyle and Rinna are sitting on her couch in La Quinta having the same conversation. And we were probably wondering, I wonder what the women are thinking right now. And then we get to see it and it's parallel to what art we were thinking is just really a mind fuck. Isabel, I just was, I'm so glad you just said that because I was about to say to you, I vividly remember you and I on the phone, I was sitting in my mom's closet and we literally had that exact same discussion. We were like, wait a second, is this a current thing or are they using this to showcase some potential mental or physical decline recently? So it it was crazy. It was like deja vu. And I remember us thinking maybe all of these articles and the stress and the allegations that are coming out has put him in the hospital right now. Like just the overall stress and weight of what's going on in present time has put him in the hospital. But then we came to find out that it was actually like a couple months before and they were using it as like a bullet point to explain his declining health. Right. And then, you know, this was a little bit weird when Kyle asks Erica about the article and you know, kind of any insight in Erica's response is like, yeah, I don't even know what this is. You can tell, I felt like in this episode, there were very specific moments where it was almost as if she had a lawyer present with her. She didn't, but you almost felt like she did where she was looking to the side being like, is this something I can comment on or not? Yes. And also, can I get into this without it becoming a problem? And will it just be easier if I sort of act like 
I have no idea. Let me just give up on this one. I'm not going to discuss this one head on. Like, I don't have the energy for it. And therefore, she can't really say anything wrong if she doesn't say anything at all. Right. Exactly. Which that's a whole other conversation we'll get into in a little bit. One final thing from this first part was Kathy Hilton waking up and not being able to sleep because Kyle had it on 76. And then her needing chia seeds and a straw was just fucking perfection. She doesn't even try. Like when she's wearing that outfit when they go shopping, she doesn't try to be funny. She's just funny. It is so evident on, and even Kyle discusses this, it is so evident how the way that she's been living for the last like 20 or 30 years and living in the Waldorf Astoria and kind of always having someone at her right hand beck and call, it comes out so much in a moment like this where she's kind of fending for herself, even though she's in her sister's stunning like mansion in the desert. You could tell like, you know, she has to take care of herself and she's thinking about things and it's just, she's a goddamn delight to watch. She is. And when they're in the courtyard after they were biking, you know, Kyle makes a really good point saying, yeah, she's Kathy Hilton, but also she lived in the Waldorf Astoria. And when you live in a hotel, you get used to this certain lifestyle, which she then has continued in her own home. But like, it's funny because obviously as your average person, when you're watching the Real Houses of Beverly Hills, you recognize these are the one percenters, right? So they're operating at a level that is far beyond most of the country, clearly. However, within that group, there are still levels. And so for Rinna and for Crystal and even for Kyle to recognize that Kathy's at another level of service in her home is this very kind of nuanced perspective that you wouldn't normally get unless there was the inclusion of Kathy Hilton. And it's especially interesting when you compare her with Kyle. They grew up in the same environment pretty much. I mean, Kathy's a little bit older than her, but they grew up in the same way, the same family, like the same values. They had sort of like the same careers and paths. And Kyle is not, it's not like she's living under a bridge. Like her husband is one of the most successful real estate agents in the country. She lives in all these homes and travels the world. But somehow next to Kathy, she looks so just humble and like not fancy at all. And it's just like the contrast between them is so funny. It really is. It's (laughs) yet Kathy, while obviously, being so well off and you know this other level of convenience etc she doesn't come across necessarily as pretentious it's like she comes across as very real and down to earth and these are just the comforts of her life that she wants to have wherever she goes she's just such a fascinating creature so when garcelle arrives you know like we were saying everybody's staying in different places and coming in at different times definitely contributed to the drama here because when crystal is catching her up on what's going on what erica told them last night when they're at Crystal's hotel room, you see the shock on Garcelle's face. And she says in her confessional, like, Tom is cheating. When she was at my house, it was a different story. And they cut back to a month ago when Erica saying that she didn't know of a third party, which was a really interesting editorial moment. It was because I don't know if they ever showed that moment before or if we saw that, but it just like, it really puts into perspective the reference point that they're all coming from and kind of the reality that they have in their minds that they heard directly from her. And then when it contradicts itself, it's like, wait a minute, I have no idea what's going on. Totally. Last thing before the hike, because holy fuck, I cannot wait to talk about that. When they're at the hotel for dinner and Erica's talking about how you know she just learned how to go to a bank in March, she didn't know how to deposit, she never had a debit card for 22 years, it wasn't her life. And just 
one, watching everybody else's reaction to that and then them talking about kind of like this forensic team that will go through all of the financial history. To watch Dorit and Sutton commentate on that, I was very interested in. Something about this whole dinner at the hotel is such a stark contrast from what we see later because I felt like they were all, and Erica too, being so kind of open and it felt like the women were really coming from a place of, we want to help you. Like, we want to be your support system and all of us here have been through something. Dorit's had financial issues. Sutton has gone through a huge divorce with so much money involved. Like everybody has something kind of to add. Garcelle has had a husband cheat on her. So when you pull from all of them, it sort of felt like, okay, we are all the experts. And even if we're not experts, we love you and we want the best for you. So let's just discuss, do you have good people behind you? How do you feel about this? This is important. And it just felt like, nice. I don't know why. And I know it was like heavy subject matter. And then they ended up laughing about things. But in that moment, I really felt like, okay, we're in a good flow here. These are girlfriends that really love and care about Erica and they just want to be supportive. And Erica was being very open and hearing them and also giving a little bit. Well, yeah, because I think what you're getting at, which is something that I picked up on too, is like, this was such a specific problem to have. The majority of people have never experienced this type of situation with this level of finances and, you know, needing a forensic team for this particular type of subject matter. And honestly, this was a really great group of women in terms of ones that either can understand this from personal experience or have been around this enough because they've been around this amount of money and this type of legal issues, or they've seen it in their businesses and their husband's businesses. So it was almost like, a group that, yes, they were shocked by the information. However, they were relatively well-versed to receive it. Exactly. That's how I felt the whole time. And I, I don't know, it just was like a new kind of vibe and I was actually really into it. I also just feel safe when Kathy Hilton's there. Because <laughs> like, I, I always just say to myself, she's fucking seen it all. What has this woman not seen? We were talking about this when the Amelia Scott plotline was introduced. And it's like, okay, yes, this is a big deal. But when you're Paris Hilton's mom, you realize this too shall pass. Things could be worse. So from a you know media storm perspective, but then also like with money and business and finance, she's kind of unfazed. She's unfazed. It's also when you think about it though, when she was saying like, I, she doesn't know anything about the bank and that kind of stuff. She may not be the most educated, but she just might be well-versed in the overall like story of it. You know, like she's seen shit. Also, Dorit did not say one word this whole episode. And this is a continuing pattern just because she's not really involved in a lot of things. But like, I miss her. Even though she's there, I'm just, I kind of miss her. Yeah, I know that's been going around on Twitter a lot. There was a lot of discourse around how she kept repeating like, deep, deep, deep financial stuff when they were talking about the forensics and people were saying, you know, are you talking from personal experience here? Wait, I think she was just a little tipsy. You think? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It just sounded like a margarita talking to me. I do. I miss her as well, but I actually think that this is the best payback that she could ever get to Kyle in terms of wanting to cancel the narrative that she's overly talkative. Right. Because she's not making a peep. But listen, I will take any day Dorit not saying, she doesn't even have a mic on, okay? She doesn't need to say anything. The outfits and the glamour that she brings bring me so much joy that she could just stand there and look pretty. And to me, she's pulling her weight. Oh, I love her there. I'm never going to complain about Dorit on my screen. That was something that we did seasons ago. We don't do that anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. Also, plot twists about Crystal being a descendant of Confucius. 
Wait, that was like out of left field. That's a huge deal. And no, I want to hear more about that. Like they only gave her about a minute to on screen explaining it, but I feel like there's definitely more to the story that we'll probably hear. You could see they were also thrown off because they obviously were not privy to that conversation before. And then it just came out of left field. Yeah. And they're like, wait, Kyle, like we thought you just pulled that out of thin air. And then she's like, no, really? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready to get into the hike and everything that followed? I'm ready as ever. I feel like makeup in general and specifically a daily makeup routine is so personal and that We've all kind of gotten down to a science, what works for us, what we need before we leave the house, like where do we feel our most comfortable? And for me on a daily basis, I wear really, really minimal makeup. I actually think I feel the most comfortable with the least amount of makeup, but my two Holy Grail products always have been, I think always will be are mascara and lip gloss, maybe a little highlight on the inner corner if I'm feeling crazy. But honestly, whether you are fresh face, full glam, wherever you fall, you have probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. It's the one in that turquoise tube that you see all over social media. So Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademark formulas, and uncompromising standards. They have a lot of great products, but the one I want to focus on is the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. First of all, it lasts all day without clumping, smudging, or flaking, which I'm telling you right now, I have a zero tolerance policy for flaking with my mascara. Like I'm just not trying to put you on my lashes if you're going to flake. And they have a flake-free tubing formula that dramatically lengthens and defines your lashes from root to tip. So it kind of looks like lash extensions without the damaging glue or salon prices. Also super easy removal, slides right off with warm water and a washcloth, no soap required. And it has nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's just like very much worth the hype. I had seen it a lot. And once I tried it, I was like, oh, okay, this is why I see it everywhere. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 20% off your first order. Okay, the way that I want to do this is like, we all watched the episode. I don't want to really recap what happened on the hike. I know we have so much written out and we pretty much have every single one of her quotes transcribed. But I think the real most important thing is if we approach this like relatively forensically about trying to explain how we got to the situation at the house because what came out post-episode is so unbelievably clarifying. And if I was listening to this podcast, I would want that information in it to help me understand this big picture. Yeah, same. Because, you know, like you were saying earlier, that scene of them on the hill, we have heard about so much. And I guess I just have one question for you. How did you feel specifically just on the mountain, the energy was between Garcelle and Erica? Like, did you feel that it was a a good flow? Did you feel that Erica felt at all like Garcelle was prying? Or did you feel like it was an easy conversation that they were both equally as happy to be engaged in? Well, thank you so much for asking how I felt on the mountain. Um, Okay. Oh, God. I have a lot of thoughts about this, which I guess is like my job. But (laughs) number one, I felt Garcelle's overall like position and the way that she was able to be so forward was great. But it was very interesting considering that she missed the night before. Because I think any of the other women sort of had felt Erica's temperature on the situation and could feel like, okay, she's opening up to us and this is what she's kind of 
cool talking about and this is what we haven't spoken about yet. Like they really had kind of an overall like idea of what the vibe was. Whereas Garcelle missed it and got what seemed like a very quick catch up with Crystal. So she was sort of going in blind. I think she had a lot of chutzpah, as we say, and she was just going for it. She wanted to ask what she was curious about. She was doing the viewers all a huge favor and asking the questions that we, if we're sitting on the top of a mountain with Erica in the midst of all this drama, would want to ask. So I applaud her, and I think she was getting, like, cutting around the bullshit that we don't, you know, she doesn't need to sugarcoat it, and she really wanted to get answers out of her. I have to be totally honest with you. I didn't feel like she was out of line because she wasn't there the night before, but Crystal had explained to her how open Erica was. So she had that in the back of her mind. And then also, you know, not for nothing, but this is what Garcelle does for a living, right? Like I know she, you know, she hosts a talk show that it's not necessarily Dateline where she's asking the most intense questions. However, being curious and asking these types of questions is part of her job and getting to the bottom of things. And so she almost had a little bit of that edge. And I was here for it, especially because Gar- in my opinion with Garcelle, she, I guess you could call this quote, dishing it. She can dish it, but she also can take it. Like she's willing to be this type kind of straight up about things in her own life. Yes. And to clarify, I don't think she was out of line at all. I also think she was doing it in a way that didn't feel like she was just trying to make good TV or pull it out of Erica or make her look bad. She was genuinely asking questions. And when you think about it from a kind of zoomed out perspective, these are stories that are being printed in the press every single day. And Garcelle and Erica are going on trips together and they're kind of in close quarters. They're considered really good friends. She probably felt like, I can ask these questions, and what is wrong with it? And if Erica is the woman that I think she is, and she had no involvement in this, why would it be a bad thing for me to ask questions? Completely. And honestly, I know we'll get into this in like literally two minutes when they're at the house. Even if there were certain ways that this went down that weren't ideal, I genuinely do not believe that Garcelle's intention was ever negative. I believe her 100% when she says she's coming at it from a place of compassion and care. Yes, intensified curiosity, but I really don't think she's that kind of person. I think she's like a girl's girl. I don't think she's the type that is going to stab you in the back for the purposes of television because clearly her divorce was very different and you know, there weren't all these finances and legal battles involved, but she was cheated on and she kind of knows that level of betrayal and shock. And so I, maybe her style isn't what some people may desire, but to me, I I really do feel like she's coming from a place of compassion. Same. And I think she's just asking out of curiosity, but also sort of giving her a way to like speak her truth. Nobody else is asking her these questions straight up and She's not just going to answer them out of thin air. So it was just a combination. And it was also just a really real and honest conversation between girlfriends. I think they were at the top of this beautiful mountain with nothing around them. They probably felt like it was a really kind of spiritual and quiet place. Even though there are cameras rolling, I think it is easy to get lost in that. And there are a lot of people that if they were in this situation, I would say, oh, they're totally doing this, thinking about the cameras and how good of TV this is going to make and how they're going to be the hero of you know asking the hard-hitting questions. That is not Garcelle. Garcelle has had the fame and she's been on camera and this isn't the end-all be-all for her. She's not calculated in what makes a good Housewives episode 101. And for not one second while this was all going down, until later, I never even thought twice about it. 
I was proud of her. I was very proud of her and I was happy she was going there. And I was like, yes, you go girl. But I never thought twice about it until later. So, so same. Okay. One thing from this before they go down on the mountain is when obviously the most famous line when she says with any of the lawsuits, did you have a heads up? Is that why you got divorced? And this is when Erica shakes her head. Yes. But says, no, I did not. And she explains, you know, it's a long time coming. This is a battle with somebody whose personality totally changed. We, we see what she went through. I don't need to read the entire paragraph. You guys know, but I want to do a very mini temperature check here. I know we do this a lot about like, what are our thought processes of was Erica telling the truth or lying? We'll talk about it more in detail. However, I just want to continue to say that I still fully believe that with this particular thing, it's bullshit. I think 100% the reason for the divorce at this time was because she knew the lawsuits were coming. Not saying it wouldn't have happened regardless, but this I think was bullshit. I feel like we need a little jingle every time we're like, temperature check on Erica lying. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, like every week, it's our weekly segment on our, you know, like, where are you feeling now? Um, okay. <laughs> it's like, no, you know, when you go to the doctor as a kid and they have a million different smiley faces and you point. Yes. <laughs> That's us. Like, how did you feel about your visit today? How do you feel about Erica Jane after watching today's episode? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, this, there are a lot of questions. Like, there's not just one big question that you can answer yes or no. But this particular thing of, did you have a heads up and is that why you left? I always sort of believed it's true because it's not just she happened to leave on the week that these allegations were coming out. And I think if this hadn't been going down, she would have probably stuck it out and helped take care of him. And she seems even still to be concerned about his declining mental health and how he's having such a terrible ending to such a long career that she was kind of the right hand for for all these years and put her life into being his wife and going traveling with him and being like everything to him she wouldn't just throw that out the window everything she says just adds up more to like she would have stayed around to kind of put him in the best care and figure it out for him and that she totally knew and that's why she left that's really how I feel and more and more especially this episode I've sort of really turned the corner of how much I really think she knew about yeah I I think so too. I it still doesn't mean that I think she was involved. Like I yeah. I really don't feel that way. I don't think that she was knowingly involved. I don't think that she's a terrible person and I don't think that she would be happily married to him knowing that he did some of the like really gruesome shit as it applies to the victims money. But I think one she could have known that there was some shady shit going on and not said anything, which like okay, I don't think she's the only woman in Beverly Hills that has ever done that. But just the the timing, you're never going to convince me that it wasn't directly because of the lawsuits coming down the pipeline, honestly. Even even if the extent of it was a little bit unknown. Yeah. There's also, a, like we keep saying, a sliding scale of how much she knew and then if she was actually involved. Like I don't picture her sitting in Tom's office scheming up this whole plan but I do think that she definitely ignored either big red flags or information that she was giving. That's just my perception at the moment. Same. Okay. So this is what I was saying earlier that we really need to go through this part meticulously. And I'm going to bounce around between what happened in the show and then what happened in social media and we'll come together at the end. But I think this is the best way to do it because when they walk down the mountain, right? 
This is not when the camera is near them and it's a far away shot. And this is when Erica is saying, you know, I wish he would just turn in his bar card and work it out. And then she says, and I quote, I have not talked to him and I cannot talk to him, even though he calls me every day. That's another hard part of it. I had to call my attorney to call his attorney to say, please stop calling Erica saying, I love you. I miss you. Come home. Okay. One really important thing that I want everybody to pay attention to there is when she says that, I know we can't watch her mouth moving. So technically this could have been different footage that's matched with that microphone, but you hear immediately after she says it, both Crystal and Garcelle react to that. Okay. So keep that in the back of your mind for a moment. Okay. They go back to the house and before they're sitting with everyone, when it's just Garcelle and Erica, this is when we hear Garcelle say to Erica while Erica's doing her makeup, you know, you sharing that Tom calls you is the saddest thing. And Erica kind of just acknowledges it, says, yeah, it's bad, and immediately moves on. Okay. I want to now flash forward for a second into social media because after this episode comes out, we obviously know Erica freaks out on Garcelle. We'll get to that in a second. Lisa Rinna posted on her story and said, dang it. I wish they had shown the screaming fight between the producer and Erica last night on the show in La Quinta. Now that would have been epic TV. Too bad. Bravo, bravo, fucking bravo. I'll get in trouble for this in five, four, three, two, one. Erica then reposted that story and they both deleted it. But just so that we're going to go back to the actual conversation at the house in a second, but this is so important. I'm going to put the link to this IGTV in the description. There was a conversation on the Up and Adam live show with at No Filter with Zach. And at No Filter with Zach is talking about what he had heard from the sources, which basically was that. In the episode, when Erica was saying that to Garcelle and Crystal, she didn't realize that she was mic'd, which by the way, that's like totally her bad. You're on a show. She didn't realize it was a hot mic. Okay. So when she said that, she didn't think that that was being included in the show. Then when they're back at the house and Garcelle says it to her, she's kind of freaked out that Garcelle would say it on camera. She thinks that they're going to move on from that and not acknowledge it again. So when she then freaks out on Garcelle, which we're going to talk about in 30 seconds, you know, we're kind of confused as the viewer because she said it the first time seemingly on camera. However, the the part to me that is the most important here is that when Crystal is saying to Garcelle that Erica said to her privately after Garcelle had already gotten into the car that she didn't want everyone knowing that, what I am seeing happening a lot online that people seem to be getting confused is that doesn't mean that Erica said it initially to Garcelle and Crystal off camera. She only said to Crystal separately that that she didn't want it known. What keeps getting confused on social media is that everybody is now like almost accusing Garcelle that Erica said that initial thing to her when the mic wasn't on and that's not the case. Yeah. There's another theory that Best of Bravo posted that I want to read just because it's a little bit different. And it says, confirming what I heard is true. I've been told that apparently production made it seem like Erica told both Garcelle and Crystal, when in reality, she only told Crystal about Tom calling her every day. Cameras weren't there, but they were mic'd. Then, allegedly, production apparently told Garcelle and had her bring it up to Erica, which is what we all saw in last night's episode. So, I am assuming Erica went off on production after they did this, hence Rena referencing the screaming fight at the La Quinta. Okay, so... Let's just break this down for a second. I don't think that that's true. I think that she really did tell both Crystal and Garcelle in the way that we saw it happen. It was a hot mic. She didn't realize it was being filmed, but it was. However, she didn't think that it was 
miked. So later when it got back, I think that's when she kind of had this misunderstanding with production of like, holy shit, Garcelle's going to bring it up. Because I think that Erica's general stance was like, to production, I will play ball with you, but you got to let me do it on my terms. So I don't think this is why I trust Garcelle too much to think that Garcelle would do something like that if she didn't hear it directly from Erica. Because then Crystal, by the way, backs up Garcelle's story of, you told me, I just didn't know that you didn't want it out there. And I think that that was Crystal's genuine reaction in real time. Erica would have immediately said, Crystal, why did you tell Garcelle what I told you in private? Like that would have, it makes no sense. To me, what kind of solves all of the, what solves all of the logistical issues is this, this, the visual of them walking, like we were just speaking about. That is not when this conversation happened because two minutes after walking a couple of feet away from where they just filmed this whole scene, Erica would still be sort of on alert of feeling like, okay, we're filming, the cameras are behind us, like my mic is on. I think this conversation went down when they were in the parking lot or wherever they were getting in the car to go home from the hike. Then, because there's no way that Erica would wait for them to finish walking and get to the car and then say to Crystal while Garcelle's already in the car, oh, don't mention what I just said to you 10 minutes ago. That would make no sense. The conversation definitely happened right before the car. And there was some miscommunication or Garcelle didn't hear her say that as they were getting in the car. That's when she revealed that. And kind of forgot, okay, like the scene is over. However, my mic is still on and they're going to use that because it then comes up later. I think if it hadn't come up later, there's a chance they maybe would have just used it, but it would have been, I don't know. It's not like the juiciest thing, but it's definitely interesting. Yes. I I can't stress enough how much I agree with that theory. I a hundred percent believe that Erica told both Garcelle and Crystal. And then she really only said to Crystal, I don't want to share this because she didn't think anybody was mic'd the entire time. And her freak out came from the fact that it was then being brought up while on camera, even though to us, it's like, what the fuck do you mean? You just said it on camera, but in her mind, she hadn't. I, I'm not willing to believe that Garcelle would play that dirty. And it also just doesn't make sense because Crystal's reaction, listen, Crystal's not going to be as in the woods with everybody as that, if it, ha- it happened too quickly, there's no way. For sure. And you could tell in a minute, we'll get to this, but Erica's sort of anger of like, you, you brought it up and you're bringing it up again is that she said it to her quote on camera a minute ago, even though it was just the two of them. And what I don't understand is like, eventually everybody's going to see this, right? So you can't not flip out at her one second before it when Garcelle is clearly saying it mic'd and on camera, and then she brings it up again a minute later and, f- quote, in front of everybody, and Erica gets so mad when it's like, you know this is going to air, and that is what I just don't get. And it's like, you really, what, you separate the show that much that you feel like, oh, it's a secret? Like, that's like when all these housewives say, you know, I don't want anyone to know about this, and I didn't tell anybody about this, or I don't want to tell anybody about this, but they're saying it in their confessional. The only thing that I can think of if I'm putting myself in Erica's shoes is that she thought that she would maybe be able to talk production out of airing that one clip of Garcelle saying it to her at the house because she so didn't react that it was pretty much a non-scene. Like maybe she could have, you know, considered that a throwaway and she wasn't expecting it to be the source or the catalyst for this major blow up. That's what I think. But also, wait, one final thing, another reason that it backs up 
our theory or us agreeing with that, the theory that's circulating about the fact that she did say to both of them is because Erica cites this as the second time now, meaning that she heard it from her originally, quote, off camera in Erica's mind. The first time was when they're sitting there alone and she's doing her makeup. And the second time is in front of the group. If it, th- that wouldn't make sense if she thought the first time was Mike. Do you know what I mean? Right. And by the way, if she didn't want to brought up that very first time while they're sitting there in the living room, when Garcelle brings it up, like, oh, that really broke my heart. Erica would say, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Or like, let's just keep that between us. Or if these other theories, she would say, did Crystal tell you that? Or like, really, Crystal's talking about what I told her? That I think that theory has no grounds. But what I still don't understand is when Garcelle gave her the buffer bring up, which is just a new term I coined, a buffer, <laughs> hashtag buffer bring up to kind of feel out, I'm still thinking about this. You know, I still want to get into this more with you because it was so upsetting to me. And Erica had no reaction. It was like, yeah, you know, it's terrible, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, Garcelle wasn't like on guard thinking that a minute later, if she said something about it, Erica would have a blow up. Right. Okay. So counter argument for a quarter, like a half a second. This is not mine. I just want to play all sides out here. One could say that Erica didn't want to outwardly say on the show, don't bring this up in front of the group. And she would have hoped that Garcelle would have picked up from her body language, which was pretty dismissive of it, of like, okay, we don't need to continue that. So if you're, if you have the tendency to take Erica's side and you're examining it that way, I could see somebody bringing that up as a way to say like, Garcelle just wasn't getting the memo. Again, I so deeply believe that Garcelle's intentions were pure in this so that she was only saying it to the group as a way to further, you know, give Erica sympathy or just another point of compassion for the group to talk about. Like I, I so don't think that she realized that that was Erica's intention because also in their initial buffer bring up, Lisa walked in, Right, like it got cut short by no, by, by not Erica's intentional doing. But Erica's the type that would say, that's just not something I want to discuss anymore. And it would be done. She brings up cheating and the car crash and like, oh, you guys want to hear the real truth of everything that went on? And like, there are no barriers, it seems, it seems. And again, bouncing back to what I said before of the whole vibe of the dinner the night before, the whole aura was like, we love Erica. Let's help Erica. Like, here is everything she's telling us and we want to root for her. And this is like the, the pieces of the puzzle. And now we are going to know the story. And when people ask us and we're putting it all out there, they'll know. And there was like this very women supporting women vibe. So I get where Garcelle was coming from. And then they also had just gotten back from this hike where Erica had really opened up even more. So her mindset was like, Erica is an open book. She's telling us all of this on camera how would she differentiate the things, the hard-hitting questions and answers that Erica was giving directly on camera versus that little detail? Like, there's no difference between the two. No, that that's how I feel. I mean, listen, did Garcelle need to say it to the group? Like, I guess technically not, but it was so... The reaction, if I were her, Garcelle, I would have been so thrown off because she has exhibited nothing but like a genuine sense of care and interest and curiosity and compassion. And I could think of a million more adjectives to try to illustrate how engaged from a very place of kindness I felt Garcelle to be, that for Erica to turn on her in that way, it must have been very shocking. And I really, I really felt for her. I I, I mean, I, 
I just think what an awkward position for her to be then put in, you know, when Erica kind of storms off. And again, she had her own kind of like mental breakdown. And it's not that I necessarily fault her because she fucked up and she was mad at herself and she was mad at production and she was taking it out on Garcelle or maybe thought that Garcelle was in cahoots with production, which is not a theory I'm willing to believe. But then, you know, when Dorit makes that comment, and I don't think that she was making it to to make Garcelle feel bad, but when Dorit says, you know, if someone says something and says to not repeat it, you know, that's kind of what you do. And Crystal then backs Garcelle up and saying like, no, that's not what happened. She never said it to her. You see Garcelle start to get emotional. And I think that that was such genuine emotion of like, I would never want to contribute to her pain. That is the last thing that I want to do. It was so, it was so clearly not a self-interested move. And I just, I know, you know, Erica was the one that was emotional, but really my heart went out to Garcelle because it made her be this villain that she's not and did not mean to be. No, and I think she just felt so bad that she made Erica feel bad and that she put any more pain on her in a moment where she wants to just be helpful. Even when I watched this the second time, knowing what was coming up, the very last thing that Garcelle says before this all goes down is Erica's talking about how she might want to go home that night or early. And, you know, there's so much shit going on and she has to, like, keep up to date with all this shit that's happening at home. And Garcelle says, I'm happy to come with you if you don't want to go alone. Fully, genuinely. Not trying to make herself look better. She's just saying, like, you know, if you don't want to drive back three hours by yourself, I'm glad I'll be happy to go with you. So for that to be the last thing that she says before this all happens, you remember where she's coming from. And it just even more kind of fuels the point of like, I don't think that there was any bad intent, anything trying to expose her, anything like that. Listen, I think she's asking the hard hitting questions. And I think she is bringing up things in a very honest way. And she knows what everyone wants to hear. But this just it didn't feel like that to me at all. No, I I am willing to die on that hill. And also, by the way, the Watch What Happens live poll said that 84% didn't think that Garcelle was betraying Erica's trust. And Crystal, again on Watch What Happens, says she didn't hear it. She wasn't there. It's I'm sorry. It's just not a game that she's going to play. There are a lot of other housewives in a lot of other cities that would have played that way. She's not one of them. I refuse to believe it. I understand that Erica freaked out, and I think that they can move past it, and Garcelle can realize that it wasn't personal, and it definitely was more of a clashing between her and production. It was taken out on Garcelle. But um, no, I will really defend Garcelle on this because she was not wrong. I mean, she, you, she got emotional. That was genuine emotion from her. She like, Do you know how shitty and how embarrassing and how uncomfortable the feeling that is when you know this woman is going through the hardest thing of her life and the last thing you want to do is feel like you are adding on that and she thinks it's intentional? No, I mean, Garcelle crying like that was purely out of feeling bad. It wasn't like, oh shit, I look bad now. It was like, shit, what have I done? I don't want to be a bad friend to Erica or her to feel like I betrayed her. Also, to be clear, when Crystal is saying Garcelle wasn't there, she means for the one specific point that Erica said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. She doesn't mean that she wasn't there for the whole conversation. At this point, Crystal would say, oh, Erica only told me and then I told Garcelle, which it just is not the truth. However, I think they were getting in the car and Garcelle just didn't hear her say, I don't want to talk about this anymore, or I really don't want to talk about it and didn't get the hint. That's it. Yeah, that's that's a really important clarification. That's obviously what I meant, that Crystal, you know, only meant that Garcelle didn't hear her say that. And by the way, like, let's we can move on from this conversation, but if we really want to get down to the nitty-gritty, that's on Erica. If this is something that you brought up and you so badly don't want spoken about, you make damn sure that you make eye contact with both Crystal and Garcelle and you say to both of them, by the way, let's keep this between us. I don't want this brought up 
back at the house or on camera or whatever you want to say. So the only person she has to blame is herself. I did feel bad for her. I feel bad for this entire situation. It's fucked up, but I I stand with Garcelle on this one. Yeah, I'm in, I'm envisioning them getting in the car and Erica kind of mumbling under her breath after she says it, like, I really don't want to talk about it. You know, like very in her like quiet, cool kind of way. And then you're right. Like, why wouldn't she in the car if she wanted to make sure not say them again? It can we just keep I shouldn't have said that. Like, let's just keep that between us. You have a whole car ride home. I don't it just it didn't make sense to me. No, the the whole thing here, like just general overarching statement, is that Erica was committed to the show and she's going to do the show for the season. Also, just to be quite transparent, she needs the money. Yet and I'm sure there's a part of her that thinks that she can steer the court of public opinion. However, like from a legal perspective, if I'm Erica's lawyer, this is pretty much my worst nightmare. The fact that there's footage rolling of me, let's say seven days a week, however many days a week, where at any moment I could potentially slip up. Everybody now has a documented history of all of my potential lies. I have to make sure I keep my story straight. Like it's a very rough position. It's not one that I necessarily feel bad for him. She chose to do it, but I'm saying it's not a great position legally. And so I think that everything she says, she's probably second guessing for a second. And like, it's just, it's just not good. It is just not good. And what we saw here was somebody getting really fed up with that. Yeah. With the show, it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If she had backed out, it would have made her look bad. If she doesn't speak about it at all, she'd look bad. If she says things that are not true or are true, like there is no right way to do this. It just is bad. Yeah. Oh my God. That felt so good. Oh my God. Also because I just watched it like what, three hours ago and we haven't spoken about it. Like we both watched it. Then we saw what came out with the information. Then we went back and rewatched it to like really make sure that we got our story straight. And so this just was so cathartic. Wow. It really was. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm dripping sweat. I feel like I just went on a run. I know. Cause I can't have the air on when I record or it's too loud. Does this count as cardio for the day? Honestly? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Okay, was this the most drama-filled episode of Potomac? No, but I just enjoyed every second of it. They could do anything. I just love watching them. I know. (laughs) Okay. So we will circle back to this momentarily, but obviously kind of the, the catalyst for all of this is Giselle and Robin at the photo shoot, inviting Mia and casually slipping in the without Karen line. So let's just have that as the backdrop to this entire conversation, shall we? Yeah, we shall. Okay. Also, nothing really to report here, but Ashley and Michael at dinner, I just... I don't know. If I am nine months pregnant, about to pop, already so uncomfortable in a restaurant, I just think that sitting across from Michael Darby would really <laughs> repulse me. Like, I, I, 
I just, every time I'm like, God, this is the last person I want to be with when I'm bursting. Yeah. He was also the bartender and watch what happens live this week when Ashley was the guest. And I don't, that was just not the move. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of people were pretty upset about it, not just because they fucking hate him and he's a bad person, but also like he's been accused of sexual assault multiple times for production and other people like caught on camera. So then for him to be the bartender is just like a little much. Like, I don't need any more of him. I have enough. Right. Like, I understand he has to be on the show to some extent because it's her husband and it's a big storyline. Like, I get that. But him played up as this, you know, like, fun, lighthearted celebrity that we're supposed to warm up to is just not something that I think any of us are going to get behind at this point. Definitely not. Okay. So Karen at Mia's, by the way, I really like Mia's apartment. Same. Beautiful. I love a change of scenery. I love a new house. We No, there's nothing we love more than a new house. No, there's nothing. And Okay, fine. It's my monthly admission of what I'm watching. I'm going back and watching old seasons of Orange County, but I'm only watching the seasons that Heather Dubrow is on because that's just my personal choice. But we do not talk about Shannon Bedore's mansion enough. And that is just something I want to leave you all with. Yeah, I think the reason we don't talk about it is because it's so representative of just such sadness and almost like despair. I know, but like the catering kitchen and oh that that's gotta be in the top 10 it, it honestly probably is but david is just such a dick that it <laughs> took away, like, it took away from it there were such bad memories there even though it was like the most chemical free house ever oh my god that place was fucking eco-friendly yeah <laughs> yes it was <laughs> okay so you know, obviously here, this is when Karen and me are having the discussion about the text that Mia got. And like, I would say that out of any episode so far, tell me if you think this is accurate. This was when Mia was the most aware of the cameras. Like she was definitely doing this up. For sure. And I can't like, I can't fault her. Having the cameras around must be weird. And I also think, like we said, in the last few episodes, she's just very aware of them. And that's kind of her personality. I feel like even without cameras rolling, she's very kind of aware and I don't know, so self-aware of what people are thinking about her and what she says and how she's coming across to people. Totally. Totally. I also think, I mean, listen, I really love Karen. She's probably my favorite. I would say that if I had to choose my allegiance is probably to her, generally speaking, even though I, I like all of the Potomac women. But Mia's text was completely out of line. Like, I, I understood that maybe she was a little offended by it because of the reasons that she gave later of feeling like, you know, she's a grown woman. How are you going to tell me? But it wasn't sent with that type of power behind the words. You know, Giselle and Robin, I, I get Giselle can be an instigator and she can be kind of shady. The response did not match the text, in my opinion. I'm sorry. It was so try hard. She knows that they're going to read this. She knew it was going to stir up shit and that she felt like she was like owning them in such a good clap back. And it just, it was lame. I like her. And I think there would, there could have been a better way that she went about this of saying like, hi, sorry. Like I don't need, like, I don't know. I don't want parameters on who or not I can invite, but thanks for the invitation. But she didn't need to make it like this whole like thought out saga. It was just too much. Let me know if you would like me to link you with my assistant to book an appointment this week. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, come on. We've been there, done that. We're no, no, no. 
No, no, no. Exactly. Okay. Before we get to Candace's party, just two quick sidelines. When Wendy, Escala, and Robin are working out and Robin reads the Mia's text, it was kind of validating because they had the same response or the same reaction that we did. I'm like, wait, what yeah, the fuck? Like, no, just like, it's just not it. Also, I know this is nothing to do with anything, but when I think of scenes that I would want to film the least if I ever, God forbid, happened to be on a reality show for even an episode, it would not only be working out, but working out in full glam because I would have the, just what's so undesirable about being on camera while working out, but then also the simultaneous worry that the makeup and the sweat would make me break out. Like I just, that was my worst nightmare. I know. It's so hard because there's a limited amount of like quote, group activities that are easy to film. And we've seen them. Oh my God. The manicure pedicures, the cool sculpting, the workout, the hike. Like I've seen it all. And that is just one that would be on the bottom of my list. Yeah. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Also, we said something last week. I read this tweet that said something like, uh, the worst housewife of Potomac would still be a top tier housewife somewhere else. And somebody DM'd us and was like, I actually don't know if I fully agree with that because I don't think that that would be the case with Robin. And I love Robin. I think she's great for the show, but that's accurate. Like Robin can't necessarily hold her own as like, in my opinion, at least as like a top tier housewife in any franchise. I think that her role in this particular group is very fitting, but that's an accurate statement what the person DM'd us. Yeah, no, I think so too. Okay. Wait, can we quickly talk about Giselle's daughter? Oh my God. Poor Grace. I felt so bad. But this is like such a sister moment. Like the twins in the backseat being like, oh shit. And and honestly, at first when she came in and they were like, you're joking. Like they thought she was going to be like, surprise, I got it. I was waiting and then it went a little too long and I was like, oh God, this is not good. And in that moment, that is the last thing you want to be filmed. Like that is so hard and sad and embarrassing enough. I just felt so bad. Totally. And I think eventually once she passes, she'll be able to look back on this and laugh and she'll be happy that it's documented. But the one kind of substantial moment from this scene is when you see Giselle really struggle with how to handle this. And she even says in her confessional, like, I'm not that great with the emotional vulnerability stuff. And you flash back to a previous scene where her kids are saying that for her. And like, I don't know. It's we see so much of how these women interact with each other that in a moment like this, when she really has to like be the mom and and handle that situation, it was also vulnerable for her to be filmed in that moment. Aside from just for her daughter, do you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think this was a moment that put into perspective: what if, like, what if Jamal was here, and kind of thinking about how things could be. Yes, totally. Anyway. Candace's peace out pajama party at her house. <laughs> These women will do anything for a fucking theme party and I love it. The montage of all of the quote memories that have happened in that townhouse are, I mean, hysterical. Like the Potomac producers again and again do not miss an opportunity to be shady and collaging together all the shit that's gone down over the years there. And Candace saying, you know, it's such a hard goodbye and I wanted to throw a party to celebrate it was just pure joy. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Also, I'm so happy for her about her new house. Same. And it's so nice. And she just truly is in such a good place. And I think that actually affects her personality and her character so much. And also the way that she is with the other women. It's just so clear. I'm enjoying Candace more this season than I ever have. Me too. Okay. First things first. Karen asking Robin about the wedding, which 
you know, in Karen's defense, I don't think she had any concept of what was going on in Robin's house at the time. But as the viewer, you know that her asking this question was only more infuriating to Robin because of the stress that her and Juan are feeling based on how insensitively he's handling her, you know, lull that she's in. Yeah. And then it's like on top of it, people asking about it. She probably is just so over it. Do you think that Candace forgot to invite Ashley or it was intentional? Um, I don't know. I don't like think you can forget to invite someone to a cast like party. It's literally a filming scene, an event, but it just doesn't feel like Candace would want to get herself in more trouble instead of just inviting her knowing she wouldn't come and then covering her bases. To- yeah, I think so too. Okay. Let's get into this Mia situation, shall we? Oh my God. Mia has really got herself in a situation. <laughs> you know, it's always the person that is having the most issues that shows up like last or in the middle because now the group had time to process it together. And specifically, Wendy, she's going in guns blazing. I mean, Mia is waiting like in the bushes on the side of the house so that she can go in last. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so Mia walks in and Karen says, they were talking about the text that Giselle and Robin sent you. We come to the conclusion that the choice of wording was improper on both sides. Mia barely <laughs> walked in the door before Karen said that. Like, I think she her, her half of her body was still outside before Karen started diving into that. I know, but like, that's why I appreciate Potomac because they just get right into it. Do you know how drawn out this would have been in so many other franchises? Oh, God, it could have been the whole night before they said, are we going to talk about the elephant in the room? It was really bizarre because Mia first owns it. She says, quote, I will own the fact that I was a little bit aggressive in my response, but I don't allow people to dictate or put stipulations on what I do. And when Escala jumps in saying, there's a whole lot of delusion going on and I can only be silent for so long, that was very rude. And when Mia cuts her off, by the way, keep in mind, I've been like pretty much a Mia stan thus far. And she's like, Ascala, how many businesses do you own? Oh my God. My eyes rolled to the back of my head. I understood that eventually she got to the point of like, you know, there's no way that you're going to allow someone to talk to you in that way when you're in the role. But it was like, no, hard stop. This is not the flex you think it is. You sound so condescending and out of touch and out of line. And this is just like a hard no. We had it had nothing to do with business. We're not talking about business. And even so, that's not a way that you kind of come at somebody. It felt like that was her only defense. And that was what she viewed Escala as like, okay, you don't own a business. That's my leg up on you. I'm just gonna pull it out. I, I don't think she had anything. She just pulled it out of her pocket as a defense. And it was so off-putting and like weird and random and very just demeaning. No, you are so spot on about the fact that it made it seem like it was her only defense. And when you have to bring something up in an argument that has nothing to do with what is being discussed, and it's almost an accomplishment or just a characteristic of yours that's like a side note, it's very counterproductive because it makes you look worse. Like It makes you seem as though your argument in the moment was just invalid, so you have to fall back on this. Yeah, it was not it. Was not it. I was kind of surprised that Candace almost like cut the drama short and they went to play pond. Like I wasn't complaining, but I just didn't anticipate that happening. I'm telling you, it's this new Candace. She was not into it. She was not feeling it. And it was also such bullshit at that point. But just back to Escala for a second. I love her. I love her. I'm starting my petition now that she's got to be a housewife. Well, it seems like it's going in that direction. I really hope so. 
Remember last week when we like dedicated the entire episode to her? <laughs> we didn't even know her at all. We like get off and we're sending Julie voice notes like, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, like you don't understand. She's like, what? Who? What? <laughs> um, wait, also one final thing before the never have I ever. When me and Giselle like have that back and forth, it, you know, not to say this was Giselle exerting OG energy, but it was Giselle exerting OG energy when she literally said, I never want you to send me that shit again. And she, and Mia just responds noted. It was kind of like, I agreed with Giselle, you know, pace yourself here. I felt like the next follow-up sentence could have been, we don't do that around here. These are, this is my house. These are my rules. Like, don't you do that again or it's going to be a problem. Right. Totally. In the Never Have I Ever, we got the vaginal rejuvenation clarification. So big clarification, not a, not something small. No, no, not at all. I I don't know. Everybody was making it as if it was this big deal that she like lied about it. I don't think she lied about it. I think that clit just sounded a little bit more dramatic. I guess, but like, is that where you want to make the drama? I don't know. It just was like <laughs> you're clueless about what happened. It's just it's two very different things. <laughs> And the threesome conversation with her husband and another woman, and she kind of said she was watching, which I I liked that the women didn't make it in this big deal in terms of like, they weren't, in my opinion, they weren't leading with judgment. No, I think because Ashley's kind of broken them down over the years. Which I so appreciate. Same. Oh my God, Ashley is doing the work and- like they said, if she was there, she would sort of be there to relate with you and make it like a both of their thing. But it was just funny how desensitized they were because they're like, oh, we've been here before with Ashley. Exactly. Anything else Potomac-wise you want to mention or New York, shall we go? No, they just keep continuing to serve and it's a pleasure to watch. Every damn week. Okay, um, I'm very excited to hear your thoughts because I know you're particularly excited about this New York episode, and we haven't had that in a long time. So I just want to hear what you're thinking. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, that buildup was way too high. I'm not particularly excited. I just <laughs> felt that it. I felt it was a nice relief to not feel like you were dreading something every second of watching it, and so I'm happy about that. And then on top of it, I just felt like. What you and I have been saying from the very beginning of this season was that even for Sonia, Ramona, and Luann, who have been the OGs, they've been friends for so long, it felt like their connection was missing. And even if they weren't getting along beautifully, you kind of felt that connection here. And I just was longing for that. Yeah. When the three of them had lunch together and when Sonia and Ramona are in the townhouse having a meeting, and even at the music video shoot... I kind of felt the history come back and it was reminding me a little bit of the olden days. A little bit, keyword, little, little, little bit. But at least there was some like glimpse of it. Totally. So we find out about Ebony's breakup, which we'll get into later when they're at the music video shoot. But, you know, the scene of Sonia's healer, and we've seen her healer come on multiple times throughout the seasons. Like, I almost can't believe that we're in season 13, I believe, of New York. And this is the first we're diving into her daddy issues. You know, it, I don't say that critically. I understand that it takes people time to process things and to come to that conclusion, but it just feels like it would have answered so many questions. And I, I am just surprised that Sonia, who's typically kind of an open book, hasn't brought this up sooner. Yeah. I feel like maybe she's mentioned it before, but never in a deep way. This is certainly the most 
kind of raw and deep and detailed she's been before. But it's funny because you consider her such an open book. I mean, she talks about everything and puts everything out there and sort of has no shame about going into her personal life. So it is weird when you feel like you know her so well, but also we don't know her at all. Right. That's, I think, what it was. It's that I had this moment of like, wait a second, I formerly felt so familiar with Sonia. Now I'm starting to question what else I may not know. I guess it's because she goes so deep into the marriage and divorce portion of her life and not a lot before that. Whereas like Ramona, we hear so much about her childhood and things that happened to her as she was growing up that kind of made her who she is. But with Sonia, it's definitely a little bit less of a conversation. Yeah, completely. Also, I really thought that Ebony would have maybe been sisters with this woman, Ashley. Like I just I don't know. They were kind of building up to that. And for her sake, for both of their sakes, I was sad that it wasn't the case. I'm, I'm sad. That was like really sad to watch because I felt like they'd formed such a special connection and I feel like they'll always have that. But you could feel Ebony's disappointment. Yeah. I think that she was looking forward to it. Yes. I think pretty much every time I've seen Sonia in a business meeting, I just feel this intense vicarious frustration because not only is the information that's being fed to her typically very vague and you feel like she's being misled. She's also not responding in a way that you would want her to, you know, not kind of holding these people's feet to the fire as much. And I don't think seeking the clarity that she really needs. And so it's weird to say, but even though she kind of came in like a wrecking ball and definitely could have handled herself a little bit better, I actually think that I was happy for Ramona's presence because I have a tendency to feel as though Sonia could be taken advantage or not even taken advantage as much as not explain things to the extent that she needs it to be explained to. This was the best Ramona has been in a while. This scene, I was like, you know what? You get him, Ramona. And it also shows you the reason Sonia can never get give straight answers is because she never gets straight answers. It's not like she's working with a group of people who are feeding her information and giving her everything in such an organized manner and it's so clear and she can't rely or she can't relay the information or she doesn't understand it. It's coming. She's giving it as she gets it. She really is. And, you know, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg. I think I I obviously know nothing about, you know, Garav or Laura and how they operate with other clients, but I wonder if they were in a situation where their other clients operated in a much more direct fashion, if their answers would be a little bit less vague. You know, it's almost like they feel they have the luxury of being able to beat around the bush because Sony's never going to hold them that level of accountable. So Ramona coming in, it, it, it threw him off. I mean, the last time I think that we saw them was in a meeting with Sonia and Bethany. And it was the same thing. They couldn't get a straight answer. They wouldn't reveal anything. And Bethany's like, well, we're in a meeting. Like, we have to talk about it. And it was just the same thing. And I think Bethany had the same feeling of, I don't like these people. I feel like you're being taken advantage of. And I kind of want to help you. But you have to let me help you. And who knows what happened with that. But I do think it's smart of Sonia to know that she needs someone like Ramona by her side to sort of just help her kind of get out of this rut that she's in and working with a team that clearly has been through so much. Yeah. Yeah. It was, don't you think it was very frustrating to witness though? Very frustrating. I love Sonia and I care about her and it's annoying to see like how her businesses have grown and gone up and down and like that she was so close to making it and then it was a big flop so yeah it's very frustrating 
Yeah. Also, by the way, the thing with the checks, like I know that was one small anecdote, but I do think there's a little bit when there's smoke, there's fire in the sense of like, not that she's necessarily being treated in the best way, but she could also handle her own stuff a little bit better than I think she probably does. Oh, absolutely. Okay. The music video shoot. Oh, God. The music video shoot. Oh, God. Okay. Can we just get into this whole Sonia Dillon girlfriend situation with the caviar? We can, but the one most important top line thing we have to discuss first is that they get there and Luann basically drops the bomb. Oh, it's not going to be this Christmas. It's actually going to come out next Christmas because we can't like get it up on Spotify and all that stuff. And they're like, what? Like after all this work and all this hoopla, the drama with the paperwork, they're all standing there in full Giovanni outfits and glam spending their day filming this music video. And they're like, we have another over a year then this is going to come out. I know. But I think Leo is a little bit relieved. I think so too. But now when it comes out in a year, we're going to be like, oh yeah, remember that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. Now on to Caviar Gate. Yeah, here's on to, exactly, on to Caviar Gate. Listen, I fully believe with every fiber of my being that Luann and Ramona are telling the truth here and that Sonia's version was exaggerated or partially untrue or whatever you want to call it. And I know that it was done in a playful way. I'm not faulting Ramona or Luann. However, they were getting a little bit too much pleasure slash enjoyment out of knowing that they were catching Sony in a lie. And I understood their frustration because she should be more truthful with them. However, it definitely, in my opinion, towed the line of like good friend fucking around or actually a little bit backstabby. Especially when you think about last week and the week before that they were so concerned about her drinking and they want all they wanted to do was help her and take her under their wing. And now a night that she clearly was drinking too much and got herself in some sort of situation, they are getting so much pleasure out of it. And I get that it's lighthearted and silly and nothing terrible happened to her, but just the tune change was definitely something to note. Right? It, the, the tune change happened a little bit too rapidly because it makes you question if the concern really is so genuine or if the concern appearing genuine is kind of just like an opening to be able to talk about it. Right. Right. Also, by the way, as if this is the first time Sonia has exaggerated a story, like they've known her long enough and I guess because they had such cold, hard evidence because Hank is Luann's friend and he was the one who got the call and eventually had to pick her up. So they know for a fact that that's the truth. And then they're kind of egging on Sonia to tell her version of the truth. It just felt like also they were embarrassing her. And I don't know. I just I honestly, I'm so protective over Sonia that I just feel bad. And sometimes I think she just gets lost in her own story that it just. Yeah, I don't know. That's just how I felt. Uh, yeah. Can I, I – I don't know. I, I feel like I have to come clean about something because I <laughs> – You can come clean. <laughs> thank you. Is this a safe space? <laughs> uh, you can tell me anything. Thank you. I so am on your page. I definitely feel protective over Sonia. I think probably the most in the business sense, like in that last conversation. However, you know, I get to a certain point where I'm like, if I was her friend, I think I'd be a little bit annoyed of like, you know what? I know that storytelling is part of your game. We've all accepted this as part of the reality of being friends with you. At the same time, though, just be truthful. Like it, it kind of can get old. I don't think I would respond 
that well if that was somebody in my own life, even if it was such a huge part of their personality. Yeah, I think they're just annoyed like they were saying. What is she trying to prove? Like, why is she fabricating these stories? And if she's fabricating this, what else is she telling us? And she's so stuck on being like this Sonia Morgan who's going around sleeping with these guys, like the old version of herself. And maybe it's just not her anymore. Maybe she's trying a little bit too hard and they want her to be truthful and they don't want to be catching her in lies all the time. Well, I think the reason that she gets more of a free pass, not only from them, but also from the audience is that her lies to her twisting of the truth never comes across as malicious. She's not doing it to spite anyone else. She's only doing it because she's fueled by her own insecurities and she feels as though she needs to perform to the certain level. I think Ebony put it best of like, you don't have to sing for your supper and she kind of feels like she does. Mm -hmm. And so I think the reason that we give her a pass is because we feel bad for her because we can't imagine how that must feel for her feeling that she has to. So like, I get it. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but at a certain point, deal with your shit or, or don't, but you can't get mad at people for then eventually getting annoyed by the continual fabrication. It's also sad if she thinks that she's not interesting if she doesn't keep up that persona because that was kind of the character that everyone loved for so long when, you know, I would like to see her in a different phase. You know, we've known her for so long and she's still kooky. She's still her. Yeah. And because honestly, like I'm not, I I don't mean to make this into something that it's not, but I do think this is definitely valid even if she didn't say it here. Like I am, you know me, like I am not at all of the mindset that like all men are trash. I don't feel that way. I think that there's definitely something to be said for the excitement of male stimulation. And I get it. That being said, I think that what's happening with Sonia is that she gives too much power to that. And she, you know, her, her presence or her excitement or uh, who she is as a person or as a woman, in a lot of times is qualified by men's perception or her interaction with men. And that's when it becomes an issue. You know, you can appreciate the male influence without it dominating your self view. And I feel like that is where her healer could be working a little bit harder. Well, also, it's very hard to tell when Sonia's lying or if she's just talking. Like when she says things like, of course, I'm Sonia Morgan. What do you think? Like, I don't feel like she's telling a bold-faced lie. She kind of just talks and you listen to what she says and you don't take anything too seriously. So that's why I wasn't like so offended that she was lying straight to their faces. It kind of is just, I don't know, Sonia being Sonia. Right. She is a storyteller. She thrives on that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. Jury's out. Maybe she had a threesome. Maybe she didn't. We don't really know what went on here, right? Who knows? The other thing I want to add before we conclude this lovely episode is Hmm. Luann and Gar. Because what a weird twist that Luann is blaming the fact that a page six article with photos of them came out and that he was sort of afraid of this spotlight in this press circuit when just a couple weeks ago we saw him filming a full scene and showing PDA with Luann on an episode of this show, which gets seen way more than these photos of them walking around in the Hamptons. Yeah, that was very confusing to me. It was almost like Erica vibes. I Just confusing. And I don't know if it's him being sketchy or her being sketchy, but it just didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right with me either. Right. Why would he be so willing if if th- that one you know photo was going to throw him off so much? I don't know, but she has some new boyfriend already. So I guess he's in the past. And the world keeps going around now. Doesn't <laughs> Another it? one bites the dust. <laughs> oh my goodness, you guys. Wow. Holy shit. No, like, can I tell you honestly? 
I don't want to watch these shows if we don't have a podcast. Like this is the best <laughs> part of my week. I swear to God, I love doing this. Like I really, really love doing it. Same because when I'm watching, I have so many thoughts. And sometimes like without the podcast, I'm just talking to myself or trying to tell somebody about it. And here we get to really break it down and it's the best thing ever. And then you guys get to respond back. And it's like, I hear so many interesting perspectives. I know. And and Carly texted me today, Carly Shapiro, and she was like, you guys have to do an emergency episode for the Beverly Hills. And I'm so glad, like I so understood that excitement, but I'm so glad that we didn't because it's almost good like this week specifically that we release it on a Friday because imagine if we released it before Lisa had posted that screenshot and we got like the clarification of the Garcelle stuff. I mean, yeah. Wow. I don't know. Okay, guys, we love you so much. We'll see you next week. Julie and I will see you on Monday. Um, As always, there are some links, codes, other things in the description. And we are so grateful. This is the best thing ever. If you love the show, (laughs) I just said look. If you like or love the show and you want to leave a nice review, we'd appreciate it. But we genuinely just appreciate listening. And so we love you guys. We'll see you next week. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like, You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.